3: And welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. And on the line with us is Michael Lewis. He is the best-selling author of numerous books, including The Big Short, Moneyball, The Blind Side, and his latest The Fifth Risk. He's also a columnist for Bloomberg View and a contributing writer to Audible. His website, Michael Lewis W-R-I-T-E-S dot com. And Michael, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me, Tom. I think this book of yours, The Fifth Risk, is absolutely fantastic. And just one little anecdote. I mean, you tell a story in the book about how the Department of Energy had a program to basically encourage clean energy and they funded Tesla. You know, or they they provided the initial financing for Tesla to get up and running and uh, along with dozens of other utility-scale projects around the country, and right now they're in absolute paralysis because nobody there knows how to run anything. It's, it's this death of government by incompetence and greed that is represented by the Trump administration. Can you give us the big picture here? You know, what is the
4: overall story in your mind on this? First, it's how it begins. Trump didn't think he was going to win. That's really right. clear. He didn't prepare to win. He had, by law, the requirement to build a transition team. And he had hundreds of people that Chris Christie had assembled to flow into the government the day after the election and receive the government from the Obama administration right. and find out, for example, what this clean energy program did. And he fired them all the day after the election. The transition never happened. They never learned anything about what they were supposed to be running. So the big picture to me... It starts with the man himself. He is entirely indifferent to the job he's got. And part of the job is running this federal bureaucracy. And he is meant to have appointed 4,000 people. He's historically disastrous in that regard. But the people who are meant to run the place aren't there. And there are a couple of strains to the, like, the motives. There are places where people who were kind of cronies of his went into the parts of the government where there were profits to be had, private profits to be had and exploited the situation. Most spectacularly, Mainly, I
3: think, the Department of uh, the Interior, right?
4: Well, I would think, you know, to me, the most grotesque example was in the Weather Service. The National Weather Service is a crown jewel. I mean, it, 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 it saves lives every day, and it is a public good. You know, that, that without the data the public, the Weather Service generates, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have forecasts. Right. And the CEO of AccuWeather, a guy named Barry Myers, lobbied Trump to be put in charge of it. And what he has been trying to do is basically privatize the data. Now, he's just withdrawn his nomination after two and a half years. But that was a case where a person's private commercial interests were going to possibly put American lives at risk. And But, you know, I think the bigger picture is, in addition to the obvious commercial interests that have sort of flooded, in, the bigger picture is when the man himself has no particular purpose other than his own self-glorification, when he's not got a mission, what shows up for the jobs are either narrow kind of commercial interests, or, or nobody at all, or somebody who doesn't know anything, like Rick or Perry grifters. running the energy department. Grifters and people who like just want something on their resume. It's a slow-moving tragedy, which could end up being the one sort of silver lining to me to the whole story is up to this point it's not like americans have been wonderfully civically engaged with a federal government we've been bashing it you know left and right for 30 years and trump has made the material interesting again he sort of made the subject he's brought it to such a crisis that you know it's possible that the end result is we start paying a little bit more attention you know
3: i think that the first president maybe the first president ever but certainly the first president in my lifetime, and I've been paying attention to politics since the 60s, who openly came out and said that the federal government itself was not the solution to our problems, it was the problem, was Ronald Reagan. I mean, he said that in his first inaugural address. He kind of put us on notice. I'm here to destroy this institution that you just elected me to run. And he proceeded to start the process. I mean, our national debt was only $800 billion when he became president. He had tripled it by the time he left. He established the whole two Santa Claus theory, Jude Wadiski's thing of, you know, when Republicans are in the White House, run up the debt as hard and as fast as you can. And when Democrats come into the White House, force them to shoot Santa Claus, i.e., Social Security, Medicare, things like that, make them cut those programs by screaming about the debt. I need not recap all of Reagan's crimes against democracy and against our federal government, but, but he started that. And I don't think that there has been another Republican who has been that kind of a quasi-libertarian ideologue who actually hates the idea of government itself since Reagan, other than Trump. I mean, George W. Bush was fine with government. His father was fine with government. Are these two presidents just total weird anomalies, or is this this a reflection of a trend? You know, it was in the 1970s, it was 76 and 78, that the Supreme Court legalized billionaires and corporations owning politicians. In the Buckley decision in 76, it was individual billionaires can own politicians, and that's called First Amendment free speech, money is speech, and in the 78, in the First National Bank versus uh, uh, Bellotti decision, they extended that logic to corporations. And of course, they doubled down on it in 2010 with Citizens United. In my mind, that set the stage for the transition. Jimmy Carter on this program a couple years ago said, we're no longer a democracy, we are now an oligarchy. And, you know, what people want and what they vote for is not what they get out of their government anymore. Gillens and Page did that study out of Princeton in 2015 where they found that basically since the late 90s, what the bottom 90% of people economically want, they don't get. Are we going to have more of this? I mean, is this the direction that we're going? Is this how an oligarchy takes down a government?
4: Two kind of instant responses to what you said. And the first is that Reagan wouldn't have dared to have been as neglectful of the management of the government, even as he derided it, as Trump has been. I mean, Trump, this is a, it's a really odd moment where he is pretending he doesn't have any responsibility and throwing all kinds of oddballs into places they don't belong to run it, or not put anybody in at all. And so we have a civil service that just, at this moment, there's never been such a lack of direction people who watch not the politics but just the government tell me they've never seen anything like this so so you, so you think this is, is an
3: anomaly based on trump's personality
4: well i, I do think it's an anomaly partly partly but it's, it, no i think it's two things i think it's trump's personality exaggerates or it makes possible this extreme situation that we were headed towards, because for thirty, for forty years now, Americans have been told by politicians that the government is a bunch of lazy bureaucrats, and there hasn't been, you know, what I've which, what I've marvelled at is that no Democrat has really. St- thought it was a successful strategy to actively sell what the government does for people. And Trump is, I mean, you look at what the kind of things Trump is doing, it's really quixotic in view of who voted for him. I mean, the, the people who are most dependent on the, on the federal government are people who live in rural America. Right. And the people who live in rural, the more rural the voter, the more likely they were to vote for Trump. And the Department of Agriculture pumps tens of billions of dollars into rural America every year in, in smart, kind of targeted ways, and some not-so-smart not so, smart, not so targeted, but nevertheless, the beneficiaries are Trump voters. And Trump has been waging an all-out assault on the Department of Agriculture. I think part of what's going on is that Americans actually just don't understand their their government anymore. They don't have the sense of what it does for them and why it's critical and how it keeps them safe, and and not until some crisis sort of demonstrates to them that the absence of good government is potentially fatal, uh, will they wake up. Wow. (laughs) that's pretty grim news so
3: outside of making sure that everybody you know know is registered to vote in the 2020 election what do we do about this
4: at the end of the fifth risk at the end of the book i just go visit one of the people who was furloughed during the government shutdown as an unnecessary worker. And see, well, like, who are these people who are unnecessary? And this guy has single-handedly saved thousands of American lives. He's he's an oceanographer, the only oceanographer in the Coast Guard Search and Rescue Department. He single-handedly figured out how objects like overturned sailboats drift at sea and gave the rescue people the ability to find people who were lost at sea. And I think of him as this metaphor for what, one, the government does, but two, what might be done to sort of like help biff the mind of the American people. The the stories of these people, they don't tell their own stories. They don't brag. They don't market. They're not allowed to market themselves. I think that there was more of an active explanation like more of an active civics lesson. Well, you know,
3: I I don't know if this was unique to Michigan. I grew up in Lansing, Michigan, and and frequently you'd go out and drive on the freeway and you'd see a sign when they were doing major road improvements or when they were building roads. You'd see a sign that would say that this this road is being paid for by the Michigan Department of Transportation
4: with your tax dollars. I mean, you know. There's not enough of that, and there's also just not enough of people being explained what they're getting. And what happens when you disable these enterprises in the long term? Costs like like nobody knows that Tesla wouldn't exist without a loan from the federal from the Department of Energy, or that basically the entire solar power industry wouldn't exist without the Department of Energy, right. or that the internet wouldn't exist without federal government investment. The sort of the seeds for future economic growth are not being laid by private industry right now. It's it's long term investment that only the government will do. Yeah. Uh, so it's that kind of. Thing that needs to be explained. So my hope is that fear of the moment leads to greater public education. Well, I hope so too, and I, you know, I continue to
3: believe that Trump is just peak Reagan. But, uh, but I get it, you know, that, that also he doesn't care about governance. Reagan used to take naps every day. You'll recall, but
4: <laughs> true, it's true, yeah, true.
3: no, I mean he was he was not all that curious about what was going on. Anyhow, Michael Lewis, the book is the Fifth right. Risk, and it's brilliant. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Tom. Good okay. talking with you. This is the Tom Hartman program. The fifth risk is Michael Lewis's book. Do you think that Trump is peak Reagan or do you think that Trump is simply an anomaly? I think he is predictable. The holiday season is upon us. It's that time of year again, family, friends, and everything so conveniently documented in video and photographs. Capturing every laugh and smile and under-eye bag. Under-eye bag. Wrinkles, crow's feet, yes, those telltale signs of aging. Who wants those in their holiday cards? Now, imagine they're gone. I'm not talking about some risky, expensive surgery. Just gone, in minutes. It's called Plexiderma, a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags in minutes. It's exactly what you need to get through the holiday season and beyond. Don't believe it? I didn't either until I saw it. Now I don't have to imagine anymore. People look just like themselves, only younger. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you'll need to face that judgmental family member. We all know who I'm talking about. The best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it, unless, of course, you tell them. Get Plexiderm's holiday promotion. Go to Plexiderm.com and use my code HARTMAN for 50% off plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an extra $10 off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-741-7998. That's 1-800-741-7998. Again, that's 1-800-741-7998. Or visit Plexiderm.com today and use the code Hartman at checkout.
2: You're listening to Tom Hartman. So Donald Trump
3: has threatened the fate and future of human civilization, joining the fossil fuel industry billionaires to deny climate change. I mean, let's just look at some of the things that Donald Trump actually should be impeached for feel free to weigh in your opinions on what you think he should or should not be impeached for and whether the Democrats need to go wide or narrow. I'm increasingly thinking they need to go wide. And the main reason actually is that it's increasingly looking like the Senate will not vote to impeach Trump. They will not vote to remove him from office. So what's going on here is a statement for history. It's a statement for the future. It's a way for the House of Representatives to say, essentially, never again. We will not tolerate this behavior from any future presidents of the United States, be be they Republican or Democratic. As a president of the United States, you cannot conspire with an industry to destroy the quality of life on this planet or for that matter to destroy all life on this planet, or much of of the life on this planet, certainly all large-scale mammalian and human life. He has threatened peace by upending our relationships with our other democratic allies and aligning himself instead with dictators, murderers, and autocrats. He's sold off our public lands to his donors and his cronies. He's devastated our public parks and our sacred places. He's installed an anti-labor labor secretary and an anti-public school education secretary, who, by the way, Betsy, De, Betsy DeVos uh, yesterday proposed a scheme whereby all of the student debt, all you know, there's one and a half trillion dollars in student debt out there. And thanks to this uh, bankruptcy bill of 2005, you cannot declare bankruptcy and get rid of your student debt. But there is this program to reduce student debt. In fact, NPR did some really great reporting on this yesterday afternoon. There is this program to eliminate student debt for low-income people, and Betsy DeVos has been sabotaging it. There are, there are tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people who qualify to have their debt wiped out, and she's not letting it happen. And now she said that all of, that, all of the student debt should be moved into a separate government corporation. Why? Because right now, because the student debt is held, you know, largely by the executive branch, as it were, by, you know, the Department of Education. Right now, the president could issue a presidential order, a proclamation, a presidential executive order, that simply says, no more student debt. President Warren or President Sanders could do that in one day. And Betsy DeVos, her family, according to Ryan Grimm over at The Intercept, he said, the DeVos family is heavily invested in the student loan industry. This is just flat-out corruption, because if you move that debt into a separate government corporation, then the president can no longer wipe out the student debt. Bessie DeVos is seen, and Donald Trump are seeing the possibility of a, of a President Warren or a President Sanders, and they're saying, no, you, you won't be able to wipe out student debt. And, you know, and Trump is down with that. He's broadly corrupted a government, that Americans fought and died for, for 240 years. He has enriched himself at the expense of the American people and given people like Jared Kushner, a grifter and a clear security risk, according to our our nation's intelligence agencies, access to our country's most sensitive secrets. He's welcomed foreign interference in our elections, openly in the 2016 election, in the 2020 election. And then when that foreign interference came in the 2016 election, he obstructed Robert Mueller's investigation on at least 10 items of obstruction of justice are listed in the Mueller report. And Robert Mueller himself said all of these are things that he could be impeached for. He's brought the office of the presidency into ridicule and disrepute. Joe Biden has a new ad out pointing out that the rest of the world is literally laughing at Donald Trump. And I think probably crying about us. You know, this is what America has come to. Impeachment is not just a process of slapping a president's hand or even just a process of removing him from office. We remember what we remember about the Bill Clinton administration because Bill Clinton got caught with Monica Lewinsky. We remember what we remember about the Nixon administration because of the articles of impeachment against Richard Nixon. During the Nixon impeachment, there was a a fairly robust debate in the House of Representatives about whether they should include in the articles of impeachment that he had secretly bombed Cambodia. It was a violation of the law. It was a violation of international treaties. It went on for months. It killed hundreds of thousands of of innocent civilians. And ultimately, they decided, you know, we're not going to include that in the articles of impeachment. And so now here we are, you know, 40, 50 years later, and, and when people talk about Nixon being impeached, they don't point out that he illegally bombed Cambodia and Laos, for that matter. But the debate was around Cambodia. I mean, look at what Donald Trump is doing. He's, he's, he's promoting war crimes. He campaigned in 2016 on war crimes. Yeah, we should, have, we should have more torture. We should have more waterboarding. We should have more people die in custody. He said that when you find a terrorist, you should kill their family. It's a clear violation of U.S. law, international law. It's a clear war crime. I think all these things should be included in the articles of impeachment because it is an historic document. It defines for the future of our country, for generations of people who right now might be five or ten years old or might not even be born yet, who will have no clear memory of this impeachment hearing. It tells them what happened during the Trump administration. I mean, we should not make the mistake that we made even with the Nixon impeachment of only impeaching Nixon for a very narrow range of things. We need to lay it out. I mean, this is what they did with the Andrew Johnson impeachment. One of the articles of impeachment was that he brought disrepute to the office. In other words, we're better than this. We believe that the office of the presidency should have integrity. His violations of the emoluments clause, his ordering the Air Force to put their refueling planes in an obscure airport in Scotland. this just happens to be right down the road from his hotel. where he's saying that the pilots should spend the night? On their per diem, they can't even afford to eat in the Trump restaurant because it's so expensive. His ownership of the Trump Hotel, when the lease, the federal lease, the federal government lease says no office holder can own the lease for the, the old government post office, which is what the Trump Hotel is, is in. His blocking the sale of the FBI building, which is right across the street from the Trump Hotel, his blocking the sale of the FBI building, the FBI said this building is old, it was built back in the 50s. It, it is out of date. We want to move it. I, I believe it was the 50s, might have been the 60s, but it was back in that era. And the FBI wanted to move it out to Virginia where the traffic is not insane and where you're not, you know, right in the middle of the scrum and everything. And, you know, FBI, I mean, they do a lot of stuff. They wanted to move their building out to Virginia. And Trump said, no, 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 you can't move that building. Why? Because the companies that were most interested in buying it when the government would tear it down and sell the lot, a lot right across the street from the Trump Hotel. The companies most interested in buying it were Hilton and Marriott. Trump didn't want the competition for his hotel. Isn't that impeachable? So, you know, I, I'm seeing this long list, you know, selling off public lands, selling our resources for pennies on the dollar. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And you know, help me build this list. What else can he, should he be impeached for? Or do you think that I'm wrong? Do you think that, you know, they should say, you know, this Ukraine thing, it's clearly a crime. Nobody's arguing that it's not. Well, I guess Trump is, you know, he's now saying, well, when I said do us a favor, actually, that was a little later in the conversation. He said, I meant U.S. Right. I got a letter from him this morning. I'll share that with you a little later on. Boy, a lot on our menu here. This book by Michael Lewis, The Fifth Risk, is really thought-provoking. The one leap of logic that Michael doesn't... Now, I haven't read the entire book. I've only read parts of it. But, And in fact, we made it one of our book reports. You can see it on YouTube. uh, I think it's just from the introduction, about a five-minute read. But the one logical leap that I'm making that I don't think he made, and I'm not sure why, and we just talked about it, and I tried to kind of talk him into it, and didn't quite work, but maybe, I don't know. In any case, the one logical leap is that I think that the Trump presidency is the logical culmination of the direction that we got set on by the Reagan presidency. And the Reagan presidency was the logical outcome of the decriminalization, the the outright legalization in fact, of political bribery in 76 and 78 in the Buckley and First National Bank decisions by the Supreme Court. And those two Supreme Court decisions, the second one being actually written by Lewis Powell in 1978, the First National Bank decision, that said that corporations can own politicians and it's not called bribery anymore, it's called freedom of speech. The thing that led to that was the 1971 Powell Memo, Lewis Powell writing this memo, coming right out and saying that We need to take over. We, you know, the the Chamber of Commerce and its friends, all the corporations that are parts of it, the billionaire funders and founders, we need to take over politics in the United States. We need to take over the education system in the United States. We need to take over the court system in the United States. We need to take over the universities. We need to buy media. We need to build a media presence. I mean, he just laid out basically what we are living right now, which is conservative rule. And I used to debate what the word conservative means, but I'm not going to anymore. I mean, this is what you're seeing right now is what has been called conservative since the 70s. It's oligarchy and corporatism. And I think that Reagan got us started down this road. And Reagan, of course, was brought into the White House by just a river of big money that flooded out of big corporations and rich people in 78 and 79 because of those two Supreme Court decisions, because they had legalized it. And then, you know, Reagan took his naps every day and just kind of put, I mean, Reagan was the first president to put an anti-labor guy in charge of the Department of Labor. He was the first president to put a guy who thought that schooling should not be compulsory and should not be funded by the government, Bill Bennett, in charge of the Education Department. He was the first guy to put, you know, James Watt in charge of Interior, the guy who thought that we should sell off public lands. by the way every republican president since then george bush senior george bush jr and donald trump have all done the exact same thing i think that reagan set this pattern
5: go ahead carl i'm listening
2: talk dirty to me
5: Staff, salmonella, E. coli, influenza. Wait,
2: not that kind of dirty.
5: Do you realize you just took me to the toilet and kept wiping in between tweets? No wonder one in six phones contain fecal matter. Gross. Whatever your hands touch, I touch. I'm covered in filth. It's enough to make both of us sick. Please, can you get me a phone soap?
6: Phone soap?
5: Phone soap safely kills 99.99% of all those germs with clinically proven UV light. It won't damage my screen like liquids or chemicals.
4: Good, because you're all I've got.
5: That's so sweet, Carl.
4: Phone soap is trusted and used by healthcare professionals and hospitals. It fits phones of all sizes. Phone soap makes the perfect holiday gift. Go to phonesoap.com, use code TOM to save 20% off and receive free shipping. That's phone s o a use code TOM. Go to phonesoap.com and use code T H O M to save
2: 20% off today.
3: The, uh, former Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs for the government of the country of Ukraine has now, according to the New York Times, said that back in July, before Donald Trump's July 25th phone call to Zelensky, way before that phone call, they knew that he had frozen that aid, that $400 million aid package. We had this information, she told the New York Times. It was definitely mentioned. There were some issues. In other words, they knew So when Trump said, you know, when Zelensky said, you know, we're really we ready for that, you know, for those missiles now, Trump said, well, but we want a favor though. They knew. Zelensky knew exactly what Trump was talking about. And here's where it gets really weird. Our Congress voted to send about $100 million in military aid to Lebanon, $105 million to assist the Lebanese armed forces, the army of the country, to reduce the role of Hezbollah and to plan for the possibility of an invasion by Russia. And Trump froze that money, and nobody knows why. And it wasn't until the media came out a couple of weeks ago, and the week before Thanksgiving, the Washington Post, the New York Times did stories about how, oh, we found another country where where Trump has frozen the money, And it's also, you know, apparently a a country that's having some kind of conflict with Russia. And uh, Trump has frozen the money in Lebanon. And as soon as the news reports came out, he unfroze the money. So we don't know if he's trying to get them to help him out in an election or what he's doing, where it's going, what it's all about. Richard in Tom's River, New Jersey. Hey, Richard, what's on your mind today?
2: Bumper stickers. All right. One bumper sticker should say, you can either be a Republican or a Christian. But you can't be both.
3: Increasingly, I think that that's the case, sadly, really sadly. Richard, thank you for the call. Sam in Minneapolis. Hey, Sam, thanks for listening to AM 950. What's
2: up? Hey, Tom. I just want to point out a couple things. First of all, you were bringing up the aid to Lebanon being frozen, and the fact that they unfrozen as soon as it was reported widely in the media. First of all, I think that's just a red flag. Yeah, that reveals consciousness of of guilt. guilt. Yeah, exactly. Consciousness of guilt. So that's the screaming alarm that says that they knew what they were doing was wrong. Okay. but secondly, look who benefits. Just like with the uh, Ukraine thing, the fact that the aid was held up translates into benefiting Russia and also, in this case, benefiting Trump. And Trump is a traitor. And I can't wait
3: until he goes to prison. Yeah. Um, I am the first to say that I think that we should have good relations with Russia, but that doesn't mean that you just roll over on everything. I mean, each country has its own national interests, and they need to be pursuing those. Thanks, Sam, for the call. Tim in Fountain Hills, Arizona, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, Tim, what's up?
2: Hi, Tom. I was calling to bring up something that I brought up last week about what your thoughts are on the overall picture, and uh, you went off on to the financial part of the USA, and now I'd like you to step back just a little bit, go up a little bit higher, and think about a list of things and what order you think they should be approached or what might be the most important thing to do first and all to get this country out of the James Madison conservative view that we've been under now since Reagan and Yeah, it's more uh,
3: Hamilton than Madison, but yes, I
2: understand what okay, you're saying. Okay, good. See, you know all this stuff that I never had the time to look into until I got retired, which I am now. I'm older than you are, but mm-hmm. uh, so you're asking like sure, where do we start? I think you have probably discussed this with others of our yeah. thinking pattern. Yeah. that, you know, in what order you would attack it. Then I figure the first thing is educating the public or communicating with them that, like you said with your last guest there, the importance of government and that it really is supposedly for we the people.
3: Right, the first three yeah. words of the Constitution.
2: Bingo. That's yeah. exactly right, Mr. Tom. And I'd, I'd like to yeah. hear your, you know, to me, it seems to me that the, You know, the conservatives of the Founders' day had more impact on our Constitution than we would like them to have today, and that Mr. Jefferson, who wrote about each generation should be able to change the Constitution to suit itself for its own time and needs, we're not doing. And I'd like to hear your thoughts about that in particular.
3: Yeah. My concern, Tim, is that we have lost sight of what democracy actually is. That I think most people in America don't understand the concept of the commons. They don't understand, you know, that there are these vast areas of life and of physical reality that surround us that, you know, I mean literally the air we're breathing right now, the water that we drink, there are these vast areas that are because we all own them collectively, and because they impact our quality of life, we create governments, as the Declaration of Independence said, you know, governments are created among men and women and others, to be able to care for the common good and the general welfare, and that's the commons. And I think that that's probably the most important concept, is that the most important part of our commons, you know, to the extent to which the government can keep the air clean and the water pure, the most important part of the commons is our vote. It's the most critical thing, because that's how we, you and I, Tim, as citizens, express our desires. And that's one of the reasons why I think that having electronic voting machines owned by private corporations is just a crime against democracy, absolute crime against democracy. Tim, thanks a lot for the call. We'll be right back. It's the Tom Hartman Program, occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week. are
2: right here. Stick around. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book
3: today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Michael Lewis's new book, The Fifth Risk. And this is from the prologue, which is titled Lost in Transition. Chris Christie noticed a piece in the New York Times. That's how it all started. The New Jersey governor had dropped out of the presidential race in February 2016 and thrown what support he had behind Donald Trump. In late April, he saw the article. It described meetings between representatives of the remaining candidates still in the race Trump, John Kasich, Ted Cruz, Hillary Clinton, and Bernie Sanders, and the Obama White House. Anybody who still had any kind of shot at becoming president of the United States apparently needed to start preparing to run the federal government. The guy Trump sent to the meeting was, in Christie's estimations, comically underqualified. Christie called up Trump's campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, to ask why this critical job hadn't been handed to someone who actually knew something about government. Lewandowski said, we don't have anyone. Christie volunteered himself for the job, head of the Donald Trump presidential transition team. It's the next best thing to being president, he told friends. You get to plan the presidency. He went to see Trump about it. Trump said he didn't want a presidential transition team. Why did anyone need to plan anything before he actually became president? It's legally required, said Christie. Trump asked where the money was going to come from to pay for the transition team. Christie explained that Trump could either pay for it himself or take it out of campaign funds. Trump didn't want to pay for it himself, and he didn't want to take it out of campaign funds either, but he agreed grudgingly that Christie could go ahead and raise a separate fund to pay for his transition team, but not too much, he said. And so Christie set out to prepare for the unlikely event that Donald Trump would one day be elected president of the United States. Not everyone in Trump's campaign was happy to see him on the job. In June, Christie received a note from Trump advisor Paul Manafort. The kid is paranoid about you, Manafort said. The kid was Jared Kushner, Trump's son-in-law. Back in 2005, when he was U.S. Attorney for the District of New Jersey, Christie had prosecuted and jailed Kushner's father, Charles, for tax fraud. Christie's investigation revealed in the bargain that Charles Kushner had hired a prostitute to seduce his own brother in law, whom he suspected of cooperating with Christie, had videotaped the sexual encounter, and sent the tape to his sister. The Kushners apparently took their grudges seriously, and Christie sensed that Jared still harbored one against him. On the other hand, Trump, whom Christie considered almost a friend, couldn't have cared less. He'd invited Christie to his and Melania's wedding, and he pressed him to attend his daughter Ivanka and Jared Kushner's wedding. That would be awkward, said Christie. I'm paying for the wedding and I don't give an s," said Donald. Christie viewed Jared as one of those people who thinks that because he's rich, he must also be smart. Still, he had a certain cunning about him. And Christie soon found himself reporting everything he did to prepare for a Trump administration to an executive committee. The committee consisted of Jared, Ivanka Trump, Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, Paul Manafort, Steve Mnuchin, and Jeff Sessions. I'm kind of like the church elder who double counts the collection plate every Sunday for the pastor, said Sessions, who appeared uncomfortable with the entire situation. The elder's job became more complicated in July 2016 when Trump was formally named the Republican nominee. The transition team now moved into an office in downtown Washington DC and went looking for people to occupy the top 500 jobs in the federal government. They needed to fill all of the cabinet positions, of course, but also a whole bunch of others that no one in the Trump campaign even knew existed. It's not obvious how you find the next Secretary of State, much less the next Secretary of Transportation. Never mind who should sit on the Board of Trustees of the Barry Goldwater Scholarship and Excellence in Education Foundation. By August, 130 people were showing up every day and hundreds more working part-time at Trump Transition Headquarters at the corner of 17th Street and Pennsylvania Avenue. The transition team made lists of likely candidates for all 500 jobs, plus other lists of informed people to roll into the various federal agencies the day after the election to be briefed on whatever the federal agencies were doing. They gathered the names for these lists by traveling the country and talking to people, Republicans who had served in government, Trump's closest advisors, recent occupants of the jobs that needed filling. Then they set about investigating any candidates for glaring flaws and embarrassing secrets and conflicts of interest. At the end of each week, Christie handed over binders with lists of names of people who might do the job well to Jared and Donald and Eric and the others. They probed everything, says a senior Trump transition official. Who is this person? Where did this person come from? They only ever rejected one person, Paul Manafort's secretary. The first time Donald Trump paid attention to any of this was when he read about it in the newspaper. The story revealed that Trump's very own transition team, led by New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, had raised several million dollars to pay for its own staff. The moment he saw it, Trump called Steve Bannon, the chief executive of his campaign from his office on the 26th floor of the Trump Tower, and told him to come immediately to his residence, many floors above. Bannon stepped off the elevator to find the governor of New Jersey seated on a sofa, being hollered at. Trump was apoplectic, actually yelling, you're stealing my money, you're stealing my effing money, what the f is this? Seeing Bannon, Trump turned on him and screamed, why are you letting him steal my effing money? Bannon and Christie together set out to explain to Trump federal law. It continues from there. The book is The Fifth Risk by Michael Lewis. Victoria in Upland, California. Hey, Victoria, your thoughts?
1: I am in California, however, I live in a very uh, Republican, very conservative, Trump-supporting pocket of California. And I have to say that the the impeachment articles need to include other things other than the Ukraine scandal, because I'm looking at my neighbors and none of them are really offended by what they're seeing in these hearings. What would offend them is... Um, to hear that their tax dollars are going to pay for Donald Trump's friends or getting government contracts and screwing the um, the public or that his family is inch- reaching themselves on the taxpayer dollar. And, you know, the taxes, of course, if people want to know that everyone's paying their fair share. But these, these hearings that my friends um, who are Trump-supporting are watching aren't offended by them. They're just not. They are willing to look the other way, Um, they're very one or two issue kind of voters and he's on those issues like abortion and, um, uh, taxes, you know, lowering the taxes, even though it doesn't trickle down to my friends, for some reason, they've been convinced that this is helping them. And I think if we introduce articles of impeachment that include things that they can relate to, because no one's relating to, you know, the Ukraine president, no, no one cares what I'm, when I talk to them, they just don't. Yeah, that's over there. This is over here. Yeah, I get it. It doesn't affect them. So I just think it should be at least four or five of these points where they feel like it's hurting their personal pocket as a taxpayer and that Trump and family are enriching themselves. I think that would help tremendously to get their attention. Otherwise, I think we're kind of.
3: Otherwise, we're kind of. That's it. Oh, that's it. Okay. He cut his own taxes. One and a half trillion dollars of tax cuts for billionaires and and his buddies and his corporations. That's a good one. Thank you very much, Victoria. Donald in uh, Aurora, Illinois. Hey, Donald, what do you have? Yes, hi term. Um, and I don't know if you remember this. when he first got elected,
6: he attended a meeting that he met some Russian dignitaries coming after he came out of a classified meeting and told them about troop movements in Syria, if I recall. you're Something right.
3: and and this was uh, this was information that he had gotten from Israeli intelligence. He burned Israeli intelligence. You're right. yeah, so that's
6: that's one of the things you could put on. But the reason why I did call is this is, I can't understand why one of the reporters that was on MSNBC attacked Pelosi and said that. Why is it that Democrats hate the, the Donald Trump so much? Why do they hate the president? She went off on this guy. But yeah. there's one thing that maybe you could remember. i seen this clip on television. I don't know if it's from MSNBC or CNN. A reporter that was interviewing him shortly after he won the election she sat down and talked to him and she went on she went on to ask him why is it that you're always saying that people hate you that everybody hates you when you won this election he says you have to say that because if you can't pass anything you can always blame it on that they always hate you he had that in his mindset already he put that out there from the day he stepped into that
3: well that's that's not unique to donald trump donald no i mean that's that's something that politicians frequently do. It's it's just you know it's a fancy way of it's an inflammatory way of saying this is all political this is just you know this is a the, you know they're they're going after me because they don't you know they disagree with my politics or they don't like me i mean they try to personalize it and stuff like that but
6: Yeah, but they may. But the fact of the matter is, there are
3: a lot of people who do hate Donald Trump. It's just, it's unfortunate. I think Pelosi really elevated the discussion by saying, "No, I was raised a good Catholic. I don't hate anybody. I learned to love everybody. I pray for Donald Trump regularly, and don't use the word hate in the same sentence with me." That's essentially what she said this morning, and and I tip my hat to her. I mean, I you know, same here. I I literally occasionally pray for our president and and everybody else in leadership and i think we all should i you know at least all of us who who pray i think that you know or send good vibes or whatever you know but there's always hope there's always hope for redemption it's it's always possible that people can wake up and the language of hate is really the language of the hard right it always has been that's how the nazis rose to power the super hard right but all your points are well made donald thank you very much and and thank you for the call sarah in fort worth texas sarah your thoughts
1: Hi, Tom. Before I get to my thoughts quickly, I want to thank you. I called before the election 2016 about my son that didn't vote, and ever since then he's voted in every election. Woo-hoo! And That's great. I was, at, I was at his apartment the other day, and I had already given him a couple of your books, and there are a whole lot more of your books in his. so I really want to thank you. Oh, great. You motivated thank him. You. Thank okay, you, sir. Okay, back to the point. I think we should go wide. I understand the argument to go narrow, but if we do go wide, wouldn't that cover, like, Jared and Ivanka and Kellyanne Conway and, and all the other? Because no one's talking. Wouldn't oh, that yeah. be complicit?
3: Kellyanne mm-hmm. and the uh, violations of the, uh, it's not the Hatch Act, or is it the Hatch Act? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Hatch Act. I
1: think it is the Hatch Act. Yeah. But wouldn't that cover all of them if we did go wide? I would. Like, the Hatch Act know. and
3: Kellyanne, Yep.
1: I want a big net
3: i want a big net not just because you know you catch more fish with a big net but also i think that it's really important for the historic record that we define what is unacceptable behavior in an executive in a chief executive because some of these crimes like this hatch act stuff you know trump isn't the first person to do this his failure to turn over his income tax returns i mean you know yeah uh, although no. that's not something that's in the law. Well, what is in the law is that he has to turn them over to the head of the, uh, of the uh, Ways and Means Committee, which he is not doing. So, uh, Sarah, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. And uh, no, no, say hi to your son for me. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so much. Good talking to you. Thank you. Carol in Menesson, Pennsylvania. Hey, Carol, what's up?
5: Hi, Tom. Two things. First, are you sure despair is not an option?
3: Yes. Despair is not an option. Despair is paralyzing.
5: Oh, well, I'm so upset by the Republicans' refusal to stop supporting a man as sick as Donald Trump is. I mean, he's permanently damaged in a very unusual way, and he's growing worse daily. And I I really fear for, for the country if he is not removed after the impeachment. I don't know where we would go from there, because this man will be emboldened if he's let go he will do whatever it takes he's already dismantling our democracy yes i agree and i i happened to see a, a psychiatrist on uh, lawrence o'donnell's show the other night did you happen to catch that
3: no i uh, usually i'm in bed when lawrence comes oh, okay. on the air when louise and i watch rachel and then we go to bed
5: because yeah. we get well, up at five he, o'clock in the morning and do show prep he mentioned he he gave a great analysis of the president about how he's a really a, a psychopath. Mm-hmm. He's a malignant narcissist. He has no love for God or man. he He's never going to change. It's not curable, what he has. Oh, yeah. And he's growing worse every day. And that's very frightening to think that the Republicans in Congress are willing to overlook a man who is probably the most dangerous president we've ever had. Well, I don't d- understand it. You know, they did
3: the same thing with Nixon. When they knew that Nixon was committing crimes, they knew that he was taking, it was an open secret that Nixon was taking bribes. Hell, It was an open secret that Nixon was taking bribes in 1959 when he was vice president.
5: That's true. Well, what about? I would like to add one more to your list of, uh, of you know, impeachable offenses. Mm-hmm. What about his human rights abuses? What about ripping children from their parents' arms and locking, locking them up? Yeah. I Kids mean in cages. How, how evil is this man?
3: Yeah. And having an open, out white supremacist as his senior advisor, Stephen Miller, in the White House writing his speeches. This is the guy who wrote his American Carnage speech. His inaugural address. It's breathtaking. It
5: is breathtaking. That, that it this is. is it's frightening and breathtaking. Yeah. Because I don't think we will recover if he is let go after this impeachment. I don't. I see him becoming so emboldened, so I sure agree. that he can have his way. I agree. That he will sell out this country. And, and that's, he would sell out his mother.
3: I, I absolutely agree. And that's why I think that even if he's not removed from office we need to have a documentary record of the crimes that he has committed. And that indictment by the House of Representatives, even if it's only unipartisan, even even if not a single Republican votes for it, that indictment by the House of Representatives becomes a part of the historical record that says this is behavior we will not tolerate. Now, we may ultimately, you know, the, the Republicans may ultimately say, yes, we will tolerate it, but at least half of the country is on record as saying no shouldn't be this way. What
5: is your explanation for why they are willing to go along with a man as crazy as this
3: one? Because he's giving the billionaires what they want. They want deregulation and tax cuts, and Donald Trump is shoveling both at them. And and so the billionaires are still supportive of Donald Trump. When the billionaires decide to get off the train, then the Republicans will follow along. But right now, the entire Republican Party is basically a wholly owned subsidiary of, of the oligarchy in the United States. Carol, thank you for the call. With all the problems unfolding for the Fed and central banks, you may be asking some very important questions. How close are we to the next economic collapse? What will it look like just before the crash? And how can I protect my investments and my retirement? There are a few people better suited to answer these questions than ITM Trading's Chief Market Analyst Lynette Zhang. Her fact-based research on the markets, currencies, and economy is second to none, and her videos have prepared people for almost every major downfall in the U.S. economy, this year. If you haven't heard of Lynette Zhang and ITM Trading, I highly recommend looking them up. They're pioneers in economic education, and they're experts at creating strategies to protect you against the next inevitable crisis. If you're looking to protect your wealth or just hedge against the most volatile economy since 2007, go to youtube.com slash ITM trading. I recommend learning as much as you can before the next crisis hits, so you can make the most educated choices while there's still time. That's youtube.com slash ITM trading. jeff in portland hey jeff what's up
0: hey good morning tom thanks for taking my call great show as usual thank you and i agree with you on going wide because the only reason to rush this through and go narrow would have been if the momentum of Ukraine gate was going to be enough to get the republicans to put the constitution and morality uh, over party allegiance and obviously that Which has, has not happened yeah uh. but- yeah, so we need a comprehensive historical document on all the high crimes and misdemeanors of this criminally corrupt administration. And if you saw Robert Reich wrote in The Guardian this past Saturday, um, and I'm paraphrasing, if we impeach Trump on grounds that include a raft of federal crimes, then he can't be pardoned for any of them and will be openly liable to them at some point in the future. And in my opinion, Tom, that's where it gets interesting. Priding himself on being such a dealmaker rather than risk getting locked up when he leaves office, could Democratic leadership persuade Dirty Don to resign and walk away before they hit him with a broad swath of impeachment articles that'll be on the hook for later? You tell us, Tom, wasn't this part of nixon's calculation to resign sure
3: yeah it was he knew he was going to get convicted and so and so he he boogied out of town excellent point jeff thank you adam in new orleans hey adam what's up
7: i read your recent opinion piece on scotus and obviously i have your book and um i think you may have the wrong read on why the house uh, is taking this impeachment pack they have a, okay. a huge problem in how to corner SCOTUS. Uh, they know it's packed, and they've not reached out to get them to enforce subpoenas or anything like that up to this point. And the question is why. I think what they're trying to do is literally paint them into a corner that they literally can't come out of politically.
3: So who is trying to paint who into what corner?
7: This is the, this is the House. By right. virtue of of the evidence, literally trying everything in the court of public opinion to the extent that they can, so that when they reach out to the Supreme Court and say we want your support, that they they literally can't do anything unless they're willing to destroy the Constitution.
3: So, so you're you're suggesting because I, I asked this question semi-rhetorically a couple days ago, and I and I'm not uh, the the article I have in Salon right now is not specifically addressing this. it's it's you know Republicans aren't breaking with Trump because the billionaires uh, are not breaking with Trump yet. Um, but, but but the question that I'd asked is why hasn't, why haven't the House impeachment committees gone directly to the Supreme Court? You know, the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction in disputes between branches of government. Why haven't they gone directly to the Supreme Court as they did in the Nixon impeachment, as they did in the Clinton-Paula Jones case? Why haven't they gone to the Supreme Court and said, force the president, tell the president he has to turn over um, the, these documents, he has to make his people available to us for questioning. And you're suggesting that the reason why is that they want to make it so obvious to everybody in America that that the Republicans are being completely, obscenely obstructionist. That when the Supreme Court finally does get the request, it will, you know, if they if they do anything other than say to the to the executive branch, you must comply, they will look like just total toadies. Is that what you're suggesting?
7: We know they're corrupt. So, um, to your point uh, and what you've written so eloquently. So, yes, exactly. They have to figure out a way to make sure that they're going to win.
3: When do you think that that point will be achieved? I mean, does that wait for the trial in the Senate, or is that the because I was interested to see that they that there was a bunch of stuff that they had withheld. They had all these phone records that they had gotten under subpoena. And there'd never been a word about them, and then they dropped those things yesterday when they when they had the hearings in the in the judiciary committee. And everybody's like, "Whoa! You've got proof that Giuliani and Devin Nunes and Leb Parnas and you know all these people are talking to each and and Trump and, and uh, Mick Mulvaney are talking to each other about this stuff." Um, so, are you suggesting that they're that the they're just going to drop this at some point, or what?
7: I I think, and this comes down to being just politically canny, I think that Pelosi knows exactly the cards she has, mm-hmm. and she is trying to figure out when
3: they can pull the trigger on this and not lose. So you think she keeps raising into a winning hand, essentially? Exactly. That is perceived as a losing hand. Right. Yeah, got it. Good one. I'll bet you're a good poker player, Adam. (laughs) Adam, thanks a lot for the call. I tried it. Yes, I enjoy poker. There you go. Okay. Have a great afternoon.
2: You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. It's the Tom Hartman
3: Program, talk media for the sane among us. Yes, we're still here. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Uh, Well, I got another email from Donald Trump. Fred, did you watch yesterday's impeachment hearing scam? Jerry Nadler is a hypocrite and a fraud. This is pretty strong language. You know, I had a caller a few minutes ago who was saying, should we call these guys traitors? And I said, no, I think we should really reserve the word for people who actually give aid and comfort to the enemy during time of war. But anyhow, back to Trump. He said, the same man who once said that impeachment was telling people that their votes don't count, now wants to make sure your vote, Fred, doesn't count by pushing this bogus impeachment scam. Democrats have not produced one ounce of evidence that I did anything wrong. Really? But they still insist on wasting more of your taxpayer money on this impeachment witch hunt. My phone call was perfect. Uh, That's not how I read it. I read it as a crime. Anyhow, he goes on to say, we can't sit back and do nothing, and that's why I'm calling on my most loyal supporters like you to step up and defend me against these fake impeachment hearings. Defend our elections and defend your freedom. Note, if you've saved your payment information, your donation will go through immediately. Please contribute $42 to the official impeachment hearing defense fund before 1159 tonight to fight back against this fake impeachment scam. And then there's little buttons contribute $42, contribute $250, contribute $100, contribute $50. Good grief. One of the things they have stopped doing is, for a long time, they were saying, you will be flown with, you know, to have dinner with the president. And Judd Legum dug into this and found that they'd been running this contest for a year, for several years. You know, have dinner with Donald Trump. And they had never given anybody dinner with Donald Trump, which is pretty bizarre with regard to the impeachment inquiry uh, some of the things that i've come up with uh the uh, denying climate change i think that that's impeachable it's it's actually putting our nation at risk all over the world he's threatened world peace by upending our alliances with democratic nations and instead throwing in with dictators like erdogan he's sold off public lands to his donors and cronies He's devastated our public parks and sacred places. He's got an anti-labor secretary of labor and an anti-education secretary of education. He's corrupting our government. He's enriched himself at the expense of the American people. He's put people like Jared Kushner, a grifter and clear security risk, uh, in a position to have access to America's most sensitive secrets. He's welcomed foreign interference in our elections. That's kind of the one thing that they're focused on with regard to this impeachment he's betrayed the Kurds. He's supported the coups coups in Bolivia and and, um, Venezuela. He's uh, supported Kellyanne Conway and her repeated violations of the Hatch Act, and not just her, other members of his administration as well. He has refused to turn over his tax returns to the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee, as required by law. He's given government contracts to big donors on a no-bid basis. He's cut his own taxes, He's burned Israeli intel by, by giving uh, secrets to, to uh, Russia in the White House, in the Oval Office, right after he was inaugurated. He's put kids in cages. He instituted a religious travel ban violating the separation of church and state. He's labeled the press the enemy of the people, violating the First Amendment protection for a free and independent press. So that's my list so far. And you know people have been calling in and adding to that list. And we will be posting that list later today or first thing tomorrow morning. I'm not sure. It's, uh, Louise kind of runs our Facebook post over on Facebook, and you can add things to it if you would like. One other thing I wanted to put on your radar screen, I think you can expect this to be coming out from Trump via tweet or via you know uh, helicopter talk or whatever it may be in the next few days. I'd be willing to bet on it. Um, And that is that Trump is going to come out and he's going to say, if the Democrats continue with this impeachment talk, we're going to have a recession. Because the leading indicators are showing that there is a recession on the way. It's already happening. October, last six months, manufacturing jobs in the United States have shrunk by 23,000. 23,000 people in the manufacturing sector have been laid off or fired. And the total number of hours worked, average hours worked. Has shrunk to the lowest level in eight years. So we're back, in terms of manufacturing, we're back to numbers that we saw on the tail end of the Great Recession. In fact, the number of people employed in manufacturing is now below where it was in 2008. So, you know, over the course of the next six to 18 months, you're going to see that increase in unemployment and that decrease in high-paid jobs translate into fewer people buying things. That's, that's aggregate demand. It's called wages. Fewer people buying things, less demand for goods and services. So companies will be laying off more people. And this is the, uh, the opposite of a virtuous cycle. This is the, the death spiral that you get into when you go into a recession or a depression. So there you go. Keep an eye out, because Trump knows a recession is coming. He's going to try and blame it on the Democrats and on impeachment. Mark my words. Boy, what a day. We'll be back same time, same place. But in the meantime, don't forget, it. it democracy doesn't just happen. It doesn't fall out of the sky. It requires all of us getting active and involved and showing up and participating. And that includes you. And by the way, it's great therapy, right? If you're a little freaked out or feeling a little depressed or bummed out or seasonal affective disorder or whatever it may be, you know, show up for drinking liberally. Show up for your local Democratic Party. Show up for, for, you know, Indivisible. Whatever, whatever you can find. Participate. Get out there, get active, Tag, You're in. And tell your friends about progressive media. We'll see you tomorrow.
2: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.